Hello, everyone, and welcome to Energy Security Cube, where we explore the pillars that form the nexus of energy security in Canada and the world, energy, economics, and the environment. I am your host, CEO and President of the Canadian Global Affairs Institute, Kelly Ogle. On today's episode, recorded November 1st, 2021, we discuss Canada's Small Modular Reactor Action Plan, the prospect of small modular reactors as a component of a resilient energy mix, and the specific characteristics of the U-Battery SMR. Joining me today from Stoke Poges, England, is Steve Trellfall. Steve is the General Manager of U-Battery, a subsidiary of British nuclear fuel company, Arenco, focused on the development and deployment of the U-Battery SMR, and a vendor in Canada's SMR Action Plan. Welcome, Steve. Great to have you on. Hey, nice to talk to you. Thanks for making the time. We're looking forward to uh, the discussion. And before we kind of get into the meat of it, could you please give us a quick rundown on U, of U Battery, its history, and how it became involved with Canada's SMR action plan? Oh, absolutely. Um, so we really started uh, working on the design of U Battery a little over 10 years ago, um, engaged with uh, two universities. Uh, so the University of Manchester in, in the UK and uh, the Technical University of Delft in the Netherlands. The, the aim of the U-Battery was always to address uh, remote communities and mine sites in particular, um, off-grid, off-network uh, markets. Um, so initially after we'd commissioned uh, the universities, they came up with, a, with an early design, a conceptual design a long time ago, um, this professors at the two, two universities. Um, of course, why is Urenco involved? Urenco um, is a uranium enrichment company, so we supply fuel for about a third of the world's nuclear reactors. Not the Canadian ones, the Canadians, of course, the can-dos, uh, right. use natural uranium. Um, so um, whilst I, I've known Canada for quite a long time, um, because a lot of what Cameco produces out of uh, Saskatchewan um, comes to our enrichment plants and goes to um, utilities all around the world. Um, so quite a long history, quite a long backlog. Today, we're in a very different position. Um, we uh, are working with a whole number of companies um, that are supporting the development. So Jacobs, um, big US company, uh, Costain, um, I've just been with today actually, Civil's contractor, BWXT, Rolls-Royce, um, Connectrix, um, a Canadian uh, company, um, and a few others. Um, so that's who we are. Um, the U-Battery is a very small reactor. It's a 10 megawatt thermal high temperature gas cooled reactor. And what's exciting about it, I think, is that opportunity to bring both high temperature process heat and electricity to some of the mines, um, some of the other extractive industries and some of those remote communities. Um, so, um, how did we get involved with the SMR action plan? I think we're getting back to your question. Um, was we, we'd been working um, in Canada for about four or five years, um, and as that action plan was put together, um, as the roadmap was put together, we were both interested from development of the reactor, but also as Urenco, as the uranium enricher, um, interested in the fuel supply um, beyond the battery for whichever of the other advanced small modular reactors might be deployed in Canada. 
So yeah, hopefully that gets you started. Um, well, yeah, let, let's just stay with that for a, a minute, Steve. If I could go back to the to your discussion of the battery itself, so you know, and the work with universities, like if you were to think of a new technology on a one to ten scale, um, one being uh, you know idea pilot, ten being commerciality. Whereabouts would the U battery be on that scale, in your opinion, or maybe you can even cite why it would be in the middle or toward the commerciality stage? Yeah, so um, the, the important part of um, the high temperature gas reactor is the fuel, is the specifically called triso fuel. It's a very accident tolerant fuel. Um, that fuel for the U battery has been very, very well developed. Um, it is produced by um, a company, BWXT, in, in the United States. It's been around as a fuel for a very long time, actually, uh, since the 1960s. So the fuel's commercial? The fuel is um, commercial, um, but manufactured only at a um, demo scale at the moment. Okay. So as the market grows, we'll um, expand um, that um, fuel manufacture. The philosophy, really, around the rest of the U battery is to take commercial off-the-shelf technology. Um, so most of the components are proven technology and even proven products. So the turbine, um, for instance, is actually a Rolls-Royce um, aircraft engine used for Hercules, uh, which you drive backwards a little bit. Right. So, but of course, putting those individual pieces together um, and justifying the operation to um, the CNSC, Canadian regulator, or to the UK regulator. Of course, you've got to do all of those proofs and all of that work and um, go through the licensing stage. So that's what's uh, taking the time. So can you, uh, you know, and I'm sure you know a lot more about this than I do. Can you briefly give a encapsulate view of Canada's SMR plan at, the st at present? Um, so, uh, I think Minister O'Regan announced um, earlier this year, uh, while he was still in office, um, that you know there was a, a big value to Canada, both for deployment within Canada um, and for export potential. Um, and uh, we're very keen that, uh, as we design, as we develop, that you know that shared um, in the design stage and with. Canadian industry in, in the supply chain stage, that everybody's involved, everybody's given the opportunity. Um, NRCAN is actioning um, some of the activities identified in the plan, putting policy framework together, federal legislative um, framework together, and making sure that um, it cooperates internationally as well. Um, there are no reactors in the world, I don't think, um, well, maybe apart from the Kangoos, um, that are really um, independent completely from, from an international framework. And that, that deployment around the world, of course, uh, requires cooperation. Um, so there are lots of pieces together. Whether um, the federal government um, then put some financial or some turbocharging behind it, I think that's the part that everybody's waiting to see. That's great explanation because I think, and you you touched on a couple of very key points that you know outside of maybe a few outliers globally, governments are involved with this because of lots of issues, including security and 
and uh, all the things that go with that. And we could have a separate discussion about that. But, you know, I think people are well aware of the potential. But let's dive a little deeper into that. The, uh, according to the SMR Action Plan, one of your battery's uh, benefits is its cogen potential, producing both heat and power. A couple of weeks ago, or like I, I, they kind of run together, we had Joe McBerdy, the head of the Canadian Nuclear Laboratories, on the other on the show and he was pretty excited about the potential of smr cogen in canada's north is this are you a competitor a peer what what's where where is u battery in that type of development and before i forget steve you said uh uh the cooling agent would the cooling agent be helium or or uh something like that is that how you is that the cooling agent so yes we put uh, helium through the uh, primary circuit so the helium carries the heat uh, from the uranium then we have an intermediate heat exchanger where we exchange the heat into nitrogen um, and then we use nitrogen to drive uh, the turbine. Um, the reason we've particularly selected nitrogen is it's the closest thing to air, right. uh, very close to air, um, so you can use an existing turbine rather than develop something new. So interestingly you mentioned Joe, so we sat down with Joe on Thursday last week, he and um, some of the other team from Canadian Nuclear Labs Lou Riccoboni uh, was here, uh, Fred DeMarca from AECL was here, um, head of a Canada-UK Energy Summit um, at the Embassy in, in London. Um, we're, we're certainly not a competitor to Canadian Nuclear Labs. Um, in fact, uh, one of our interests is where do we build our first of a kind? Um, and we've already started the process uh, for the Chalk River site. We've completed the first stage of, of siting. Um, whether we actually do that in, in Canada or whether we do that in the UK, um, um, one's been ahead of the other uh, from time to time. Um, at, at the moment, I would say we're, we're pulled a little bit towards the UK because the UK government is providing a good part of our funding. Um, but I, I think to get back to the other part of your question um, around co-generation, what, what does it do for everybody? Well, this, this high temperature um, co-generation um, gives the possibility uh, for some of those uh, remote regions and the mines, of course, that need um, to produce fuel. Um, so if you imagine, of course, they're all using diesel for everything at the moment. And if you, if you want to produce electricity and want to produce um, um, some sort of synthetic fuel, uh, maybe that's a hydrogen, maybe there are some other options, it becomes more efficient um, the higher temperature you go to. Well, and economic, right? Because, you know, you're, you've replaced that, that uh, carbon emitting fuel with something that isn't. And it, it just, you know, I hate to use colloquial uh, comments like no brainer, but Steve, it just seems to me that like, we need to go up the middle of the S curve on these developments. I, and I, I here I'll go on one of my little diatribes. It seems to be a, a regulatory and environmental pushback that stops these things from moving forward at a, at a better clip that can seem to solve a lot of the issues that we're trying to solve with climate. Uh, you're absolutely right. Um, I do think the regulators are trying their best um, to you know take what they've what they've done in the past. So for the very large can-do reactors, what CNSC is put in place to, to regulate, um, entirely appropriate. What we're proposing here is, is something new, it's a little bit different. Um, and we're working with um, a team um, of the other developers under the Can Do Owners Group SMR Task Force, 
to collectively um, consider what's in place today and consider you know, whether other things are appropriate. So everybody is working together uh, from that perspective. So Steve, go further a little deeper into the uh, uh, high heat as a uh, benefit of the reactor and the, or the, of the battery and therefore, uh, you know, usage in environs that could reduce the footprint um, or other sectors besides mining. Like I'm thinking of communities themselves, like in, in a Qualiut where we've had this issue with water, um, I, I'd like more information if you can provide it. So, so obviously, when you're starting with a with a high temperature uh, heat, you can use it for quite a lot of different things. Um, but I, I suppose, what are the drivers? What's really pushing uh, the mining and extractive industries in, in the first instance is, is partly because of their own ideals of, of wanting to decarbonize. But actually, what's who's pushing them really hardest is their customers. Um, who are really, you know, when, when Amazon makes a commitment or Microsoft makes a commitment or uh, anybody else makes a commitment to, to, to um, look for a low carbon source of any of the components it needs, anything it needs, then they put that demand down onto their supply chain and that's when it lands on the miners. Um, and either you're doing it or you're not and either they buy from you or they don't. So it's pretty, it gets pretty black and white in, in, in that very, very quickly. Um, you can sell your product or you can't sell your product. Um, I, I think, um, I say, when you go to the communities, uh, the remote communities, and all sorts, of course, of communities, um, then I think there is a whole variety of, of ambition. Um, does everybody want a nuclear reactor at their, at their location? Some have said very strongly that they do, um, and some want to learn a little bit more. Um, so far, but I think one of the things you get um, in those very remote locations, apart from the cost of energy generally, um, whether that's electricity, whether that's heating your home, whether that's um, providing fuel for your, for your truck. Um, um, the other thing is, of course, the cost of uh, food is, is very high if you're having to fly food in um, or, or truck it in. And the ability to provide heat for greenhouses and to grow food locally, I think, is, a, is an additional benefit that we can, we can bring. Yeah, we talked about that with Joe. And I think that it, you know, it really is a, uh, you know, we see that the, what gets the news is people want to live on Mars in 2020-200. Uh, really, the, the quicker uh, and real potential gains are in these places where, you know, there's going to be a, a lot of build out of, let's just take the critical minerals perspective alone, not in gold or and copper and, and cobalt, et cetera. Um, I think that these are, you know, and for us, we're trying to help educate folks about, cause you know, about the, about these potentialities. Um, and, and that leads to the question of cost. Uh, Steve, I, I'll go back to my question about the one to 10 scale. Where, where are we with, with an S and, you know, in your opinion, with an SMR, as far as, as a mine site, that's going to be, that's in early stages of development, mid development or already developed um, with an SMR, a real world example. Um, so there are quite a lot of different small modular reactors under development. Um, they each offer different potentials. Um, so there are some small modular reactors uh, that are based on pressurized water reactors, 
Um, and you would say that's a developed, well-known technology. Um, the companies involved are trying to simplify that and, and say, here's a quite a predictable outcome in, in, in uh, levelized cost of energy. There are some uh, companies trying to develop molten salt technologies. Um, a couple of the companies, Moltex and Terrestrial, I think, are in there in that boat. Um, and they offer very good potential. I think some of those have um, a bit more, a few more challenges uh, to go, but they, they offer really good potential. So, well, especially in, a, in more hostile environments, right? Like, it, you know, I think that that's the, 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 I think people need to understand that the, the battery technology that, that, that comes along with you folks and your uh, ideas is much more, much more adaptable to 50 below zero, which is, you know, in real time, real terms, I've been around that kind of weather living in Saskatchewan most of my life to understand the, 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 uh, the challenges of that. Yeah, no, you're exactly right. I think the coldest I've been is about minus 40 um, uh, in, in, in Russia. <laughs> never, 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 well, I've been to, been to Saskatoon, but not the north of Saskatchewan. Um, but there, there are many different demands of, and it's finding the right product for the right location, I think. So some of the Alberta oil sands could probably benefit. Um, um, they need you know, quite a sizable reactor um, or a few sizable reactors there. Some of the mines are quite small, um, some of the, and, and, and have short lifetimes. And that's the other thing we've got to make sure that there's a business case um, to put a reactor in if the lifetime is 20 years or 25 years or 30 years. Um, so it won't be, you know, they won't be the solution for everything, but they, they have their place. Well, and I think what it, what it speaks to, Steve, is that this is a, uh, I, I, the, the, it's a global issue being managed by two parties to the party that have been, you know, the child of the older, the, uh, you know, Canada and the United Kingdom are parties to several multilateral and bilateral agreements for collaboration on these things. And let's just, before we finish, could you give us a little bit of a, a historical and or a rundown of where we are with Canada and the U.S. in in collaborative efforts in this regard? Well, there are um, uh, nuclear cooperation agreements certainly in place already uh, between uh, the UK and Canada and Canada and the US and uh, around the world. Um, certainly at the moment, the two regulators, the Canadian Nuclear Safety Commission and the UK Office for Nuclear Regulation have a, a, an active memorandum of understanding. We're trying to work very closely together. Um, um, and uh, there are quite a few other intended um, cooperation arrangements um, because I think the entirety of the world, um, of the, of the world that sees nuclear as a solution, is trying to work together. And certainly, Japan um, is very forward-looking. Um, France is, is, of course, one of the countries with the greatest deployment of nuclear reactors, is also looking forward. So there's a, there's a team of the willing, I think. So. Um, what, what do you think are, are left as the major challenges to, uh, to justify investment and uh, let, uh, an SM, you know, the, the not mass production, this isn't building cars or, or uh, turning out widgets, this is, um, but it would be considered like, again, I go back to that commerciality situation and, or are we kind of there, but not quite there? That's a, that's a very good question. Um, of course, um, we have COP 
just starting, COP26, just starting in, in the UK. Um, and the, the world is coming together with great ambition to decarbonize. Um, and that's a, a meeting mostly of, of the politicians um, and um, some promises for funding, of course. Um, and, you know, that seems to be moving all in the very much the right direction. Um, I think the politicians have still some convincing of industry that has to answer to its shareholders. And how does industry then support what the government ambition is? And how do you translate it into, uh, into investment? Um, I think that is the difficult piece. I, I don't think it's the technology. I think the technology is proven or, or very much on the way to being proven. Getting industry to act, I think, is the difficult piece at the moment. Well, yes, and it's, uh, well, and, and I'm not going to, I'll go off on just one quick little diatribe when, you know, the Russians and the, the Chinese and they're chosen not to participate in this discussion other than to listen. Um, so, you know, I think that as drivers of the, of the Western world, we can do what we can. Um, having said that, that there's a long road to hole here um, and whatever we can do is, as a, a small middle power, um, all the better. Um, Steve, I, I, I think we've only scratched the surface here. I really look forward to uh, further discussion on this. And, you know, we'll try our best as a small, independent, unbiased think tank to get this message out because it's so important and it's so much of the future. In, in my critical thinking, um, without nuclear and small modular reactors, and I'll be uh, continue to editorialize these aspirational goals without political will that are going to come flying out of here in the next couple of weeks are all interesting, but without nuclear power, none of it happens. It just doesn't. There's not enough technology. The technology is a decade away to make uh, other sources of renewable energy uh, meet the demands of the of the uh, developing world. So. That was my, I get to do that at the end, Steve, <laughs> but <laughs> this is actually your podcast. So what, if you'd like to sum up where you're at and where we're at, where we could go from here, I'd, I'd, I'd love that. So um, I completely agree with you. Um, at, at the moment, still 80% of the world's energy is supplied by fossil fuels. Um, some of the address that's made from, from wind and solar and, and, and hydro, of course, that's starting to address what is mainly an electricity demand, but actually to move us forward, we've got an enormous road to go down. So I absolutely encourage every development that is low carbon. Um, I think uh, I absolutely agree with you. I can't see a future um, a solution without a lot of nuclear, um, but we need everything. Um, we need everybody to move. And, and that's demand side reduction as well. Uh, so managing um, uh, where we can, um, some demand, um, and encouraging, as I think you already suggested, that we need everybody in the world to play. We need China to play, we need India to play, we need Russia to play, everybody needs to come together. So. Why don't we just end it right there, Steve? I, I, uh, we always ask our guests um, if, the, if, if they have time for it, and I last uh, week I, I, I got a book from uh, our uh, guest and i picked it up and read the whole thing last week so if you have a chance to read for pleasure what are you reading these days oh well as a, a very appropriate question my wife and i have just managed to um take a short break in in ibiza uh, finally oh nice 
<laughs> see some sunshine. But of course, when I'm on the beach, I'm, I'm reading for, for pleasure, for relaxation. So I, I, I read a couple of John Grisham books, uh, Camino Island and Camino Winds. Um, so uh, but we were just chilling on the beach. That's what, you know what, we all have to do that. And it's, uh, it's, that's how we recharge. And um, talking about recharging, we'll circle back to you and uh, you battery and in Yurenko uh, in the near future and, and perhaps put together a webcast or a, uh, you know, you know, sometime in the future, we can hopefully have some in-person events and we'd love to have you come and uh, talk about the future of nuclear power. Thanks so much, I really, Steve. I really appreciate it. It's good to talk to you and I look forward to coming back to Canada sometime soon. Thanks very much. Thanks everyone for listening to this episode of Energy Security Cubed on the Canadian Global Affairs Podcast Network. You can find the CGAI Network on iTunes, Spotify, and Google Play. If you like the show, give it a rating. You can also find the Canadian Global Affairs Institute on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. If you like this episode and want to help us keep creating content, you can support us by donating at cgaica slash support. Energy Security Cubed is brought to you by our team at CGAI. Thanks go out to our producer, Joe Kalman, and to Drew Phillips for providing our music. I'm Kelly Ogle. Thanks for joining us on Energy Security Cubed.